Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. We are going to open the phone lines. It is the power hour today. We've got Pete and Ethan with us here. Uh, We haven't heard from Bruce yet. Bruce seems to be missing in action today. Uh, The number to join us, we're going to open those phone lines right now. You want to jump in as soon as possible. 855-950-3835. 855-950-3835. All right. Um, We have got a lot going on today. One, um, my voice is still kind of shot. Um, So after the truck show, thinking back now, it probably was not a good idea for me to make so many major changes all at once. Like I got out on the road. uh, There was a lot going on, obviously, getting the new show up and running, all the new technology, the travel, then the truck show. Um, it was probably not a good idea to stop all of my supplements and change so many things. And then um, be at a truck show with thousands of people shaking hands, hugging, talking all day long. Um, I have not been sick in eight years, but boy, did I get it this time. It's not COVID either. I've tested twice. I thought for sure it was. When I started to get sick. It started with the sore throat, though. I didn't have many of the symptoms, although I saw a new list of symptoms for COVID, and it lists just about everything you might get if you had the cold or the flu, except the weird taste and smell thing. And I I didn't lose my taste or smell. Mine seems to be all in my chest. A lot of congestion, a cough, my throat's sore, my voice doesn't hold out very well. Um, after not being sick for eight years, this is just kicking my ass. This was not pleasant at all, and I'm going on day five. Each day I feel a little better, but I'm nowhere near 100%. Now, on top of all that, I have a totally new setup here. Um, I took all of my equipment out of the coach, moved it into Pittsburgh Power this morning, and set them up uh, as hosts, so they'll be able to start doing their own shows here uh soon this week I think uh, if we get a couple things taken care of so I've got a whole new audio set up out here Pete and Ethan are in the building Um, they have a whole new setup in there we're not sure where Bruce is yet today but hopefully this all works and hopefully my voice holds out I can feel it um, I can feel it starting to get a little little iffy right now so uh, why don't we do this before I end up talking too much, why don't we just bring in uh, Pete first? Pete, are you with us? I am, Kevin. Oh, boy, sounds like we're sitting Here. right next to each other. It does. We're we're almost sitting right it, next it, to each other. I'm just up. outside of the building. Pretty close. Yeah, but it really, really good sound. I like the sound of your mic. So uh, while I've got you, why don't you uh, jump in and give us an update? What's going on this week? Okay, um, busy. Um, you know, we've been fortunate we've stayed busy as long as we have. And, of course, uh, we were at the truck show, which was busy, which come back and it's even busier, which is the whole idea of doing the truck show. And uh, you know, it was definitely a good show last two weeks ago when, when they had it. And it was nice to be able to get out and do it as well. 
We haven't had a big truck show for a couple of years, so that was definitely good. And you're talking about how many people. There's a little over 50,000 people there. Boy, that's actually low. Normally, it is. So normally it's 80s. Now, all the show people count the numbers differently. So that is registered attendees. So if your wife and kids and brother and his wife sign up and only one of you show, they count everyone who's registered. Oh. All the shows. And I found that by mistake, one of the other shows sent me numbers. I'm like, wait a second, how do we go from 40,000 people to 18,000? Right. And I called him like, oh, well, you want to get those numbers. The What we see as givers is registered attendees. Got it. So everyone that signs up online is counted, whether you're through the door or not. So the number that goes through your door is for people to see internally. So there's never as many people there as they say. But with that said, I, I think... The lesser crowd was, was better. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if there's 150,000 people there. If they can't get to your booth, what's the purpose of them being there? Yeah, you know, it seems to me like I remember years. Weren't there years they exceeded 70,000 registered? Oh, 80s. 80, yes. okay. Yeah, in, thought in the so. 80s, slow 80s, for quite a few years. You know, we've always said something about the booth that um, – you can't tell the difference in the Pittsburgh power booth. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. The booth just seems to be busy the whole show. Even when we had the turned on, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, when a lot of the big companies pulled out, the crowds were down, but we were just as busy. I remember it hasn't yeah, I remember that you're talking, I, I wandering around the show, talking to our, our vendors that were in other places, not over in that area that we have. And most of the vendors were talking to each other. They're, they're just, it, it wasn't a really busy show that year at all. And everybody noticed it, except every time I would get back to our area, it just felt like a normal year. There was just always people there. Yeah, we're fortunate we stay busy at this show. But how many shows do you get to go to where there's people like us there and not just a salesperson there? I mean, you got you know Bruce, the owner of a company, and he's working a show. You, you come to our booth. You don't get that a lot of places. That's a good point. You get someone and they know what they're told to know. You know, like you know, Bruce and I both have you know worked on trucks from the beginning. We we both injectors, fuel pumps, rebuild. So, I mean, you're talking to someone that knows the business, not just a salesperson that's trying to promote something. And you don't get that, I think, in most booths. They don't have that. Yeah, you know, you're right. If, if you think about the people attending the show, if you are interested in something and you go to the booth, you probably want to know what it's all about, the price, what it does, all that stuff. Uh, and once they tell you that, you know, maybe you buy something if they have something to sell, maybe you take a card and figure you go look it up later. Um, but the the Pittsburgh Power Booth, it's just, it's, 
it's almost like an extension of this show and the same thing you guys do on the phone every day. People come and they have questions. They want to ask questions. They want things explained. They want to show you oil samples. They want to tell you about when their truck broke down and it's been in seven shops and nobody's been able to fix it. And and we usually end up, when I, I'm there, I say we, um, with a line. I mean, sometimes it, it's difficult. You've got you know, four or five or six people waiting to talk and you try to balance it with how much time can I spend with each person. And then you, you notice people in the back of the line actually start leaving sometimes because it's, they're waiting too long. So the good thing about the booth though, at Pittsburgh powers, there's a lot of people that can answer questions. And I think that's why the booth, it just feels that busy all the time. Yeah, so in the past, we've always had, you know, someone from the engineering department. So this year is Leroy. Uh, we've had JR there. We've had Ethan there. Um, so when there's a question with, hey, I got a code or a program issue, you know, we've got someone that can answer the, the knowledge and not just, you know, a, a pre-written speech they, they can give them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, like you say, a lot of times for a lot of companies, it they send salespeople, and it's an opportunity to make sales. Um, the people who are buying stuff in the Pittsburgh Power Booth knew they already wanted it. You know, they'd come in and say, "Do you have this? Do you have this? Did you bring this?" They so they're either there to just buy something and maybe get the show special or save on shipping, or they're there to ask a question. I, you know, I don't not in the booth all the time. This show is there quite a bit, but I, nobody ever walks up to me when I'm in that booth and says, what is this or what's going on or just wants general information. Right. Yeah. Right. And the show, what ironic is in the past, I'll get a sonal call up and say, Hey, I met you at a truck show, Louisville, Dallas, wherever. Um, I got one of your booklets. Um, is this part still this price? I'm like, Oh, God, no, that's four years old. He goes, yeah, I showed four years ago, and they kept the booklet. Right, right. Which is uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. All right. Let's face uh, it. Oh, you got anything else this week? Not everyone um, needs something today. You know, if you're in trucking and your truck's fine, you might not need it when you're at the show today. But you might need a part a year from now, two years from now. And we get a lot of that you know, business from previous shows. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and as long as you guys have been on the air and Bruce has been writing articles for how long? It's been a long time. Yeah, 15, 20 years, I'm guessing. Yeah. I lose track. Yeah, I do too. I know uh, I used to write quite a bit, and boy, I hate writing. I talk much better than I write. And actually... Overdrive has asked me asked me to come back and do another financial column, and I'm I haven't given him an answer yet. It just always felt like so much pressure to me. I know it's it's, it's not that long. It's usually six hundred to a thousand words a month, and I, you know I can normally knock that out in an hour. But I I swear I try to put it off for forty hours, and then finally sit down and do it. And I don't know. I uh, just not sure if I'm ready to take that on again. A lot of work. It is. It is. Bruce Bruce is good at it, though. I mean, Bruce has been doing it a long time, and he uh, he sits down and he gets them done. And, and that, you know, people have been reading those articles for years. So it's a, uh, a different event um, in the Pittsburgh Power Booth at a truck show. 
Oh, it sure is. Looks like uh, Angie just talked to Bruce. He should be calling any second. So we'll uh, we'll bring Ethan in, and uh, Bruce should be up next. We've got some calls already, so we need to get to those here in a little bit. Uh, Ethan, welcome. As always, Kevin, good to be here. Uh, you sound like you're you're right next to me, but you're really right next to Pete, right? Yep, yep. This is a new setup, some new technology. I'm uh, looking forward to playing with it there. You sound really good. Those uh, those headsets and that board sound good in there. Um, I, I got it put together just under the wire. Like I was uh, almost, well, I would have ran back out here to the coach, but I probably would have been laying in the parking lot coughing if I would have tried that. So, um, But we were... We were down to the minute. Hey, somebody's got to tell Bruce he needs a new computer. His is still a Pentium. I almost forgot what that word yeah. was. Yeah, I was going to mention that, the technology issue we had there at last minute, and, you know, one of those little technological hurdles to overcome. And good news, we had a spare laptop around, yeah, um, so we could me. quickly get it up and running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for uh, sure. It looked like uh, looked like Bruce's computer had about two weeks' worth of Actually, it was a year worth of updates. It just looked like it was going to take two weeks for them to complete. Um, And I couldn't get the driver installed, and uh, I could go on and on. But we got it. We're all here. We're talking. Uh, I don't see Bruce coming in yet. So uh, what's what's new and exciting in your world? Oh, just the normal. Trying to fix trucks, get them going. Um, So nothing too out of the ordinary. Got it busy as always doesn't doesn't change too often there for us um either you know even when we get a little time off then there's always a little bit of r&d you got an idea to play with um do a little research try to figure stuff out you know some of those little side projects that you wanted to look into and say hey i wonder if this is possible and sometimes it is and sometimes you shoot your own idea down in a couple minutes yeah got it yeah i uh you know, I was going to do an update on the industry today, but we've uh, we've got a lot of calls coming in already. I want to make sure we get to calls, but all signs are pointing to probably a rough year or two. I, I think we're probably looking at some of the conditions we saw in like 9, 10, and 11. Um, maybe even worse this time. It's hard to say. Uh, too many other things going on. You know, the the uh, the war in Ukraine, inflation, fuel prices, so many things kind of out of control. But every indicator that I'm looking at right now in the industry is not good. Rates are dropping. Freight's drying up. Um, I think we're in for an interesting time. Yeah, and it, it's not just the trucking. I think it's everywhere at the moment. So exactly. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's always going to be trucks. People are always going to deliver freight. Um, we just want to make sure we're helping the people that are doing it. All right, it looks like we do have Bruce in, so I'm going to welcome Bruce. Bruce, welcome. Good morning. Good, good morning. How are you today? Good. You threw me a curve with the 11 a.m. start. Uh, so. Yeah, I know. I'm not very consistent on all this stuff yet. I, um, I thought... <laughs> I thought I was going to do an hour first myself and then go into the power hour, um, but my voice is starting to give out again, so I wasn't sure if I could make it 
that first hour by myself, so I figured I'd bring you guys in instead. Did you see the 1966 Peterbilt for sale that needs painted for $150,000? No. <laughs> and it needs painted? <laughs> needs painted. I, I, actually, it's got good bones. It just needs painted. The guy has a lot of newer stuff on it. What, what year but, is this? Uh, Wow. 1966. A 66. Wow. Mm-hmm. What was that called? A 251 or something back I then? I have but no idea. Anyway, here's a question. David Keller sent me a question on Messenger. Why, when they measure the wheelbase on a tandem truck, do they measure to the center of the tandems instead of the center of the rear axle, and I always wondered that, too. Do you have a, any idea why? I have a guess, but I don't know if this is correct or not. I think that that kind of ends up being the pivot point. I think. So, mm. so when you're turning a sharp curve, you're... Yeah, I think if you had a single axle, it pivots right in the center of that axle. But with a tandem, I think they measure to the center of the two tandems because that's more accurate of where it's going to pivot from, I think. I don't know why where that okay. came from, though. Okay. And did they get the safety plus on your motorhome? No. We should talk about that right now because everybody's here. Pete? What do we need? Oh, we to can do. do it. We need to get you in the building. What's that? We just need to get you in the building. Okay. Well, I guess I will. Uh, I'll close it up if you've got an open bay, and we'll put it in the building after the show today. We can do that. All right. That sounds good. So, Bruce, in case you uh, you you joined us late, Pete and Ethan are in your office, and they're actually running the show. Oh, I see. Yeah. They're, so did we get the new equipment? I did, and it actually worked out good. I think I screwed this up. I think I asked you about buying the board and the headsets. You and I talked about that, didn't we? I, no, you told me all the equipment. You gave me an exact price. I said, just get it. Yeah, that I ran it by you just to get it approved, and I think you said, yeah, just have Pete get it. And then in my mind, I thought I was done, uh, but I never told Pete. So this morning, I was um, setting up a new board for myself, and I thought, well, I have a board and two headsets. I'll just uh, give this to Pete if they hadn't ordered theirs yet. Luckily, I hadn't said anything to him like I was supposed to, uh, so he didn't, mm -hmm. and it worked out perfect. So now you've got a board, okay. two really good headsets. Um, we could get you a third in case all three of you are ever in there at one time. Probably will be. Okay. So I think we just need well, to. Well, we'll need three because I, I fly back tomorrow. If we can get out of Denver, they're having 80-mile-an-hour winds today. Uh, it was rough sleeping up here in the mountains last night, very windy. So anyway. Got it. Well, Other than that, everything's good. Everything's I, good. I just realized I have another one of those headsets with me. So I'll take this in the building. You guys will be all set. You'll have the board, three headsets, mm -hmm. and um, 
with a little bit of training, you guys will be able to start and run a show anytime you want. Okay. And uh, on truck stuff, Pete and I are getting a tremendous amount of calls on big cams. I had a fellow yesterday bought a 1986 cab over Volvo, I think it was, with a big cam in it. And he is not mechanically inclined, just starting out to be an owner-operator. And, you know, we're losing mechanics in this industry. And if you can't work on your own truck, you're going to need to learn to do some things, some of the minor things. But this guy didn't even want to attempt putting in a turbo boost gauge, and that's about as basic as it comes. So... uh, I warned him, I said, you know, you're going to get to the point where you can make all the money in the world. If you can't get into a shop, you're not going to get in, and you're going to need to fix it yourself. The other one is we're getting – okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm getting behind. I've got two questions for you. One, I just thought about that, Pete. What engine is in that thing? The 1986 – I mean 1966 – yeah. No, I forget what's in it. I forget what's in it. Okay. Uh, it's got updated rears and suspension and things. The truck looks good other than the paint. And the nice skinny windshield, skinny hood, Pete. But just, I just brought that up because of look at where the prices are going. Oh, it's. I, I don't think that's going to last much longer. Rates are just tanking. Yeah. Rates are coming down every week, and a lot of people don't realize it because when the fuel was going up, that makes the rate go up even without the fuel surcharge. But the base rate itself, I think we're down almost 60 cents a mile since January. They're down a lot. Yeah, I think we're we're going to start feeling that. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention there, what you just mentioned about not being able to get into a shop and you should have the ability to do some of your own work, the hydraulic line that ruptured on the coach, Nobody would do it. I could not get anybody to work on it. I spent the whole morning on the phone. The RV guys said there's no way they would work on that without it being in the shop up on a lift. I went through all of those. Nobody would come out and work on it. Went through a couple truck guys. They didn't even want to talk about it because it was an RV. Finally got the one truck guy to come out. He crawled under there, and I said, it's going to be up in this area somewhere. He's like, we can't work on that out here. And then he said, I said, well, how close is your shop? I was thinking if nobody's going to work on this thing out here, maybe I do have to get it in. And he's like, oh, wait, you don't want to take it to our shop anyway. All of our mechanics suck. <laughs> so, yeah, thinking, well, there's a real what, vote of confidence. What happened to desire and determination? Uh, years ago, I got called to a cab over Kenworth, needed an air compressor with a big cam in it. But they couldn't bring it to the shop. It was six miles away on a street in New Kensington, PA, which used to be the home of Alcoa Aluminum. And I get there. And the reason I wouldn't bring it in is because the cab jack was broken. Good thing I wasn't large. And I squeezed between the tire and up underneath and the bumper took the fuel pump off, and I had to drain the coolant, took the fuel pump off, took the air compressor off, and I changed that air compressor 
with that cab being down because I just had this thing in me that I could never be, I did never wanted to be defeated by something mechanical. You know, that so. you've been through that, you know, you've done work outside, you, you know, years, decades of that. I, I was just, it just seems like it's getting harder and harder uh, to get anything worked on. And, when the when the one guy came out and said, oh, no, I can't work on that, luckily I had some other things, and I said, look, go work on those. Let me see if I can find the leak. So I got under there and found it. Once I found it and pointed it out to him, then I got him kind of interested, and we, you know, he at least helped, and he had more tools there, so we did manage to get it fixed. But uh, that was an entire day of just trying to track somebody down and find somebody and then ultimately ending up having to at least troubleshoot it myself and saying, here's what's wrong. Can you fix this? That's right. You found it. You found the leak. And you lost a day at the Louisville show. You lost Thursday at Louisville. I did. I was a, but my thought was, if I didn't do it on that Thursday... My next shot would have been Sunday, which I wouldn't have gotten anything done. Then, you know, wake up and I, it, you know, when something's wrong, it's all I'll think about. So if I would have gone to the show on Thursday, all I would have thought about is the truck, the, the coach isn't running and I got to fix it. I, I, you know, and I don't That's even right. have a plan. I didn't even, had I called somebody and they said, hey, look, we could get out there, you know, first thing Friday or whatever. But I, I couldn't get anybody to even commit to it. And it, that just seems to be getting mm-hmm. worse all the time. So, it's a good thing you're mechanically inclined. And for those of you who aren't, it starts with one bolt at a time. That's it. And you take out the one bolt and you take out the next and the next. And next thing you know, you have the part off or the line off. It, but I also wanted to say, and Pete's been saying this every week, uh, the amount of phone calls we get on big cams is pretty staggering, but there's too many people mismatching parts. And people think, that's a big cam, it's a big cam, everything will work, and that is not true. Um, before you go letting another shop or doing it yourself and you're listening to your buddy down the street, you should give us a call and uh, let's talk about your project and what you're doing, and we'll get you the right parts. And it makes it pretty tough when the camshaft's in there and you don't know which cam it is. And, you know, it's, it's, so. it seemed like we went through that with the Series 60 for a while when they were building so many gliders and engines were short and parts were short. I had two two trucks that I really tried to figure out why they were getting such poor fuel economy, and we went over them and over them and over them, and I just couldn't figure it out. And I said that, you can always figure it out. I mean, if you spend enough time, you can always figure out why something isn't getting the fuel economy you expect. But it turned out that um, I, I had kind of given up on them. I, I had nowhere else to go. I didn't know what else to do. And um, I was in touch with both of the dealers that had the trucks in there. And it turns out they were put together with the wrong parts. Yeah. Yes, that can happen. That's, it was a tough one to figure so. out. 
Okay. All right. Well, uh, we've got calls, and uh, I think we should take them. Let's get started in Massachusetts. Bob, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's a 351 Peterbilt, probably a 335 Cummins. And the pivot point, the reason for the wheelbase is because the fifth wheel should be set between the axles or over the axle on a single axle. Ah, got it. <laughs> that would make sense. Well, the reason I knew that is because I'm looking at a 63 right now thinking I want to put a 444 Cummins and 342 rears in it with 13. That's a great choice right there. Now, now you're talking Bruce's language. It's yeah. sitting in the woods, Bruce, for $6,000. <laughs> that what it is, huh? Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm dreaming, but I sure do want to build that truck. My double eagle sleeper will look real nice on the back of that. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find that one on Facebook that uh, I saw the other night. Uh, four States, the owner of Four States over there has a 66, and that is a sharp truck. The, um, I'm gonna yeah, take Brian, is that, is, that, is that the truck Brian redid a long time ago? Yeah, yeah, he bought that when he first started. He redid that one. He still got it. Hey, here's That's Barney Fife. Here's Barney Fife says. <laughs> I just saw a picture. Barney Fife says, having a CDL don't make you a truck driver, cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the 80s, uh, built a truck, um, performance truck cabs, built a truck called the Pegasus. Does anybody remember that truck? They only made three of them. That somehow sounds I, familiar, but I don't remember it. I got to see that truck at the 76 there in Kingman. Got to see the inside of it and everything. That was an awesome little truck. Look it up and see if that doesn't remind you of the new Tesla cab. Really? Wow. Every time I think of that truck, I'm like, man, I'd love to set that cab on a Volvo chassis with that high-performance motor. <laughs> That'd be interesting. I, I just, that name sounds really familiar, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, it was an awesome-looking little truck. It was, it, back in the 80s, it was just, it was totally futuristic. It was way ahead of its time. Huh. The, the reason I really called... And I've talked to the guys over Pittsburgh Power. I stumped them, and I'm going to see if I can stump you. I've got a 12.7 Detroit and D-Deck 2. When I run my Jake brake, I build restriction on the air filter. And the other day, I was talking to the guys at Pittsburgh Power. I was rolling off the, the east side of Laramie. No accelerator, rolling at 70, kicked on my Jakes, and I start building uh, restriction in the air filter, and it builds it all the way up to 20 pounds of restriction. Now, over the day, it'll come back down, or if I get into a hard pull where I'm running, you know, getting that pyrometer up there about between five, 600, and mine is after the turbo, and, you know, get my temperatures up there where they should be, it'll come back down. Why would I be getting filter restrictions from the turbo? It shouldn't happen. Well, you're making boosts. So to make boosts, did you say you were making 20-pound of boost? No, no, no. I was on the boost with Jake on. I'm making about 15 pounds of boost at the time. 
But my mm-hmm. filter what kind, what, climbing. What it's kind of truck is it? Take-off. It's a 92 feet, 12.7 Detroit, D-Deck 2, 13 speed with 390 rears. Dual air filters. No. I still got the original cylinder air filter on it. That's the only thing I have it changed. I've put the okay. gear muffler on it, balancer, and it's got the tilt manifold and that 706 so, turbo. So if you have 15 pound of boost with the Jake on going down here, what happens when you're going up a grade at 15 pound of boost? Do you have the same amount of restriction? No. If I'm on a pull, the restriction doesn't build. It's when I turn the Jake brake on going downhill. Or I'm coasting down the hill and start to take break on. Wow. And nobody can tell me why that would do that. I mean, it shouldn't. But there shouldn't be any air coming back to the air filter. Where's the yeah. where's the restriction gauge? It is just past the air filter in the... It's a rubber, not the rubber boot, but the metal cylinder there. Right, okay. <laughs> Hmm. Where the tube comes out to the big tube comes out of the air filter to the turbo. It's in that tube. Well, Hmm. it takes, you got to get air in because it takes turbo boost. But why do you have more restriction whenever the jake's on than whenever you're pulling air for the turbo? Exactly. Good question. And I mean, I've, Nobody can answer it. Everybody's stumped on it. I told your wife I won't play stumped to jump here. <laughs> I thought yeah. maybe since you had so many D- Detroits, you might have run across it at some point. You know, I never had a truck with a restriction gauge in the cab that I could see. Ah. So I don't, I mean, hmm. I'm trying to think through that. That is just illogical. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Exactly. So if he made that kind of restriction under load, you know, you know, if he had 25 pounds of boost and 20 inches restriction pulling a hill, then, okay, we, we've got an air filter issue. But right. he doesn't make that type of restriction under load. He just does it with the Jake one. I've never exactly. seen that happen before. Never noticed that on a road test. Never had that complete before. It's just when I'm coasting. And, you know, all temperature dropped down, it had dropped down about 150, you know, because it was 38, 34 degrees outside. So my water temperature staying up there about 180, 190, but my oil temperature dropped down about 150. It fluctuates between 150 and 200, depending on if I'm pulling or not. But I just, when I'm on a long coast, especially if it's cool weather, I kick that take on, and it shall start building restriction. And like the other day, I had restriction all day long. And finally, later in the day, when I got into pulling, it would come back down to zero. Or if I stopped the truck, turn it off, and start over, it would come back to zero. I never looked at my restriction gauge when I was going downhill with the Jake on in my 89 Kenworth, so I... I, I can't answer that one. I, I just wonder well, if, if this you know, is... I called it other days, the guys were like, well, if it's not affecting your performance, you know, I wouldn't worry about it, but it is because when it's restricting my... When I have that restriction, then I'm losing boost until it gets rid of that restriction. 
So you can see that it does affect your boost. Yes, my boost will after that. If my boost restriction builds up like that, I'll drop back to 15 to 18 pounds of boost. And then once it drops back down, she'll jump right back up there to 27 pounds of boost. So this is one of those things where you just have to start trying stuff because I, I can't even think of anything <laughs> logical. Uh, hey, what would happen I've, if, if I've got- when you get the restriction – you pulled over and just opened up the canister and pulled the air cleaner out and put it back in. Well, I thought about that. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that with my truck running. <laughs> well, I, I've shut it down. Now, I've shut it down the other day. I did pull it out just to check that filter. It's like, you know, did they put a damage filter in or did I get a hole in the filter or something? And just make sure there wasn't something in that, in that canister. And, you know, it's still... I, the filter's a week old, and it's a brand-new filter. No damage to it. So when you put it back in and, and started it up, filter? did you still have that same amount of restriction? No, the restriction had dropped. And all you did was turn it off and take the filter out. You didn't have to wait all day for it to go down. No, no, yeah, that's the thing. If I'll, I'll stop and shut her down, then when I start her back up, it, it's periodical i mean every once in a while i'll have a little bit of restriction and then it drop back down and but most of the time it'll drop it right back down i remember i have a thought years ago they made some rubber elbows that didn't have the ribs on the outside and those rubber elbows would suck shut yep the guys mentioned that and if they're they have, the hoses are stiff they're the rib type they're okay that's and I didn't even duct taped all my my uh, boots to make sure. Yeah, it's like, okay, they're in good shape, but I'm going to duct tape them boots to see if that makes a difference. And they didn't. So this is odd. It's obviously not filter restriction because the, the filter itself can't be restricted and then not restricted. I mean, once it's restricted, right. it's... I'll be stuck in the as well. Hmm. Boy, I am stumped. I have no idea. That's right. I was hoping you would have a clue. Not right. Well, here's the Except other thing. Like, <laughs> like I said, I, I've never had a truck with a restriction gauge in the dash, so I've never known what happened when the Jake was on. But I just wonder yeah. if it's if it is so odd to all of us. We've never heard of it. We've never talked. How many trucks do have restriction gauges inside? It's not that common. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get somebody that calls us and tells us. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. If, if some... so Because of the boost gauge, you're not getting your boost when you have that restriction. Right, man? So, I'm, losing my full, I'm not having full boost or full pedal. So if you're coming down a hill and you have 15 inches of restriction on the air filter... With the Jake on, you get down into the dip and you start to roll back into the throttle. You're not getting your boost, correct? I'm not getting the boost back up. So come up to 12, 15 pounds of boost and then she'll stop. Man, that's weird. Yeah, Did I, this do this with the old filter or once you change filters? Uh, there's a new few filters on and I've just changed them. That's the first time. One, first thing I do when I start, if I start losing power or anything is, Switch them filters out. That's step one. 
Yeah, but before you, you said you just changed this air filter, did it do this with the old air filter? Yeah, it's been doing it. This I've occur? had the truck now for a year and a half, and it's been doing it. Okay, so the filter had no effect on it, changing it. Yeah. No, I just changed the air filters just to make sure that, you know, I got... Right. Well, yeah, that's a small it's, it's a problem that I've had with the truck. The truck was rebuilt at $2 million, and I've got, about 242000 on it now in the last year and a half. I only run about 80,000 miles a year. So when you're pulling a hill, you know, foot to the floor, you're really working it. What's the most boost you see in normal conditions when it's running right? 27 pounds. Okay. And then how much air restriction do you have at that point? That, at that point, I don't have restriction. It'll be a zero. Which makes sense. I mean, buy, that, that's... You know, maybe. Right. Right. And that, yeah, the renting the works is... I've got full boost. But once that restriction, you know, if you got that restriction in there, then I'm like Bruce said, when I'm rolling in and I get into it into the next hill, she's dead at about 15 pounds of boost until it gets that restriction down and my barometer gets up there about 600 and then she'll kick in. I'll catch a couple of gears and then you, you can feel it. The boost will come right back up and start climbing up to 27 again. So... This is going to be really odd, and I know we don't even talk about this on a <laughs> diesel engine, but I, I, I'm home. Come up Laramie, 30 mile an hour with only 15,000 pounds on. I, I'm trying to think, could this be some kind of, I hate to even use this term, vapor lock? Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I know we don't, re, it doesn't happen on a diesel, it doesn't really happen on cars anymore either, but. It, it almost sounds like we're building some it, – it's not the filter restricted. can't be. So it almost sounds like we're building pressure somewhere that takes time to release. But that doesn't make well, any I sense. I even this may be a fuel issue where I'm not getting enough fuel until it gets to a certain temperature. I don't know. This is a weird one. Have you ever verified you have the correct jakes for this engine? As far as I know. <laughs> That's the ones they put in it. It should be so, the original. Okay. Yes. So Pete, let's say they're wrong, Jake. So where are you going with this? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, but I mean, that's something, again, we start checking things that so, might be random and, and we want to check the easy things. So let's verify the Jake's are correct. Let's verify so, they're set properly. There's sort of valve overlap going on. So, yeah, that's uh, maybe yeah, that's was... kind of where my head's going. So when the when the jakes are activated, there should be zero fuel going through the injector, correct? Yes. Yes. What zero if, fuel. What if there was fuel? It would make a really odd sound. Probably smoke and a lot of smoke. It, yeah, I don't get the smoke. The only time I get smoke is a little white puff when I start her. A big white puff, it's cold, but then it clears up. Yeah. You know, on a, on a mechanical engine, you have fuel, but it's only the amount of fuel at idle going in when the jake's on. On an electronic engine, there shouldn't be any going on. Hmm. Going in, I should say. Yeah. Uh, 
Boy, I don't know. Years ago, I found an air filter housing, and it had a separate plate so that whenever the turbo was drawing air and you had the five- or six-inch hole going into the air filter, there was a plate in there to make the air come from around the air filter. You don't have a plate like that in there, do you, in your air filter? You know what? I think yeah, I might. I think I might, because, you know, when you pull that filter and you look in there, you don't just look into a hole. You look into a backing plate. That backing plate was loose on this truck, and we'd go for a ride, and we'd have come-and-go smoke and no power, and that plate was loose. I could take off that intake hose and look in there and check that plate. Well, other than that, I think we're going to have to throw this one out to the audience because you've stumped us all. (laughs) You're not the only one. I've stumped everybody from coast to coast. Hmm. Check the plate. And, and by the way, I found that uh, I found that 1966 Peterbilt. Did you find it? That's an awesome looking truck, isn't it? He's going to finish. It is. Truck. That's it. That's <laughs> a good looking truck. I mean, it's got all the right stuff on it. All it needs is painted. It's got uh, 255 inch wheelbase, low pro 225s, low air with 355 gear ratio, 14613. 30,000 on the in frame with a big cam four, 400 Cummins. So it's a 351A and it's a Grumpy's truck sales and parts. I have no idea where that is, but. That's the one they want 100. Oh, it's got, it's got a 30 inch Mercury bunk on it that they said just rebuilt and it's an original Mercury. Wow. All right, Bob. We're there. Gonna, you go. We're, we're gonna cut you loose. I'm looking at the calls and I'm looking at the time, and we have got to get a move on here. We're gonna head off to Ohio. David, welcome to the program. Hello. Oh, can you hear me? I can, and it looks like we're looking at an oil sample. Correct. Yeah, it's on a 2000 W9 with a C12, 575,000 miles. So, um, it looks like you turned your kids loose with a box of crayons on this thing. What the hell is going on here? Um, I started losing can of freeze, and I couldn't figure out where it was going, so I ran the oil sample. Uh, had 7,200 miles on it, and that was in 2020. It didn't come back with antifreeze in, but it came back with fuel dilution. So I took it to my local shop, and they said I had one injector leaking, so they replaced that. Then I ran another 7,000 miles with another oil sample, and the fuel dilution went down a little, but not much. But then I had antifreeze in there. Well, so I can't figure out what's going I'm not sure you ever had coolant. You had sodium, but no potassium. Uh-huh. That's usually not coolant. If it's coolant, we see both. And you have, like, no potassium. This is, um, you've had just some really strange stuff here. What happened, the silicon was up to 20, oh, they must have had the, they put in the injector. That, okay. Yeah, the copper, we could ignore. Just ignore the copper completely. Um, I think. How long have you owned this truck? 12 years. 
So you've never seen it, le- lead before, right, on a sample? No. Okay. It's, so th- it's a farm truck that averages 9,000 miles a year. Got it. That's going to screw a lot of these readings up. Um, the copper I would ignore. It's coming out of the oil cooler. The fuel dilution is down to 2.9. The, but that was only on well, a 2,500-mile sample. Right, which is part of the problem. We're not putting enough miles on these samples to know whether or not. It, you may still have an injector issue. Um, honestly, here would be my advice. You run the thing 9,000 miles. A year? Right. We'd have to wait a year and a half to get it. I, it's hard to tell on samples sometimes till we get about 15,000. Um, honestly, I think for right now, I would just change the oil twice a year. That's what I've been doing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. We're just not going to be able to put enough miles on this thing to troubleshoot it with an oil sample. And, and the history is just all over the board. I mean, nothing makes sense. Where's where's all the sodium coming from since there's no potassium? Um, the fuel dilution, at one point it was 8.7. I've heard that over 7%, the crankcase can explode. Hmm. Never seen it happen, never heard about it happening, but I've read it. And I took some classes on oil analysis, and they said... With 7% fuel dilution, there's enough fuel in there that you could actually combust it. The oil would be combusted. We've had it happen. We had it happen on a cab over Kenworth, so I'll tell you about it. Yeah, it's possible. I've just never seen it. Honestly, though, we're just, I don't know that we could figure this thing out unless you were able to put more miles on it in a shorter period of time. I don't think I can do that. There's one other thing at idle. It vibrates now, like the mirrors will rattle. I put new motor mounts on it. I put a new damper on it. Made no difference. So could that tell us there's something wrong with injectors? Yeah. Yeah, you could still have a bad injector or more mm-hmm. than one. Um, and the one place made no difference on the vibration either. But the truck runs fine. If it's running fine and it's a farm truck that you put 9,000 miles on, I think I'd just keep changing the oil twice a year. Okay. You know, if you you keep sampling and you're seeing high fuel dilution in a short period of time, then you may want to decide is it worth changing injectors or not. Okay. All right, that that was uh, boy. It's a weird day. We have got weird stuff going on here. But uh, let me tell you about this uh, big. I think it was a big Kim one four hundred that blew the oil pan off. Aluminum oil pan. Uh, he was stuck in a blizzard in Iowa. Back then, we had some injector issues and cam follower issues, so he lost one. He drove it from Iowa back to Pittsburgh on five cylinders. And I'm trying to think of where he was, but he had an explosion. He was getting fuel in the oil. It blew the oil pan off. 
So he towed it on in, and it, there was four brothers all raised on a farm. Their last name was Kelly. They're only about three miles away from our shop now. And he had a wooden ramp going up into the barn. He started it with no oil pan on it and drove it into the barn. <laughs> and I I went up and pulled the rod and mains, and they were perfect. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that took guts. Holy cow. <laughs> you know, on the way up, I was thinking, wow, this is going to be a disaster, but it wasn't. Wow. We put a new oil pan on it, fixed the injectors, and put her back to work. Well, now I can say I at least know of a story where fuel dilution did mm-hmm. cause it to explode. Like I said, I've read it. I've just never mm-hmm. heard it really happening. When the seal went bad on my 89 Dodge in the fuel pump, and I was in Breckenridge, Colorado in 1992, I had uh, 50% dilution with fuel. Wow. And prior to that, I was going down to Salida to, to run the rapids, and I was driving 90 miles an hour in that pickup truck. The very next day when I went to put the luggage in because we were leaving, I saw the fuel film on the back of the window of the cap. And I pulled a dipstick out, and I was 100% over. Wow. Wow. So the truck held three gallon. I drained six gallon out of it in a parking lot, pulled the fuel pump, had to borrow a uh, a puller to get the gear off. And nobody knew me, so I had to leave. I forget how many hundred dollar deposit, plus my driver's license. Borrowed another vehicle, went into Denver for $28 uh I think it was Moraney put a seal in it. Cummins wouldn't sell me a fuel pump because I didn't, they didn't have one to match the CPL. I said, look, between the boost gauge and the uh, exhaust gas temperature gauge, I don't care what your pump set out. I just need a pump. I have to get back east. They wouldn't sell me a pump. So there I was. I was in a parking lot just like you, Kevin, last week. Yep. Draining six gallon of oil out. And then I had to get rid of that. So, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. There you go. All right, we we've got to get to a couple more calls here before we run out of time. We're off to Florida this time. Tim, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Good. What can we help you with today? That's good. Hey, uh, I was in uh, Charlotte Wednesday last Wednesday, and I took your advice because you said the first thing we should do is get a remote tune because the fuel prices are so high. So, or get a tune done to your truck, no matter how you do it. But anyway, I went to DPF Alternative there in Charlotte, and I pulled in there at 7 this morning in the morning, and the guy said, hold on a second, I don't remember his name, let me get my ritual going here, and I'll pull you up to the door. So he did that, he pulled me up to the door, and he pulled out this laptop that said Pittsburgh Power on it, and he said, we're going to hook this up, and we're going to call Pittsburgh Power, and you're going to talk to them. You're going to tell them what you want. Okay. I said, really? He said, really? So we called Pittsburgh Power, Kathy answered, Kathy transferred us to Ethan, and I talked to Ethan myself, and he told me where the truck was set. He did everything on the laptop right there from Pittsburgh Power. That guy at DPF Alternative, all he did was plug it in. Right. So I just want to try to understand, when you're taking your truck to a remote tuner, Pittsburgh Power is doing the tune. The remote tuners is hooking up the laptop and calling Pittsburgh Power and say, I got a truck here. Yeah, 
Okay. Yeah, you're you're you're. You guys are you're in good hands. Yeah, good point, and and I don't know that we've ever really made that clear before. But that uh, Ethan, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, so it's something I've talked about a lot when I talk to people over the telephone. But if you get a remote tune, the same there's four of us here. The same group is going to be doing it remotely or in the shop. So it's not like you get somebody else if you go remotely versus if you're here in the shop. Um, and it's pretty random on who you get. You know, if one person's busy, the next person takes it. So it's kind of like the, the first available, um, all depending on how busy the shop is and what's going on at that particular time. But, yeah, so you don't get a different tune if you get it done remotely versus in-house. The only difference here is if it, we do it here at Pittsburgh Power, you know, we do a dyno run with it um, right. because we have the dyno physically located here. It doesn't move very well. Very good. All right. Great stuff. So, so uh, I'm sure, can I do just say one more thing before you go? Sure. Because they're, they're thinking, you know, we got them all thinking now. They're listening. So before we had 500 horses, uh, now i got 600 horses. Ethan says around 2,000 torque, and it's there. A fuel pellet you lay on, and away we go. There you go. <laughs> but um, I'm going to start doing. I'm doing uh, oil samples, but I can't tell you. I done a bunch of empty moves, so I'm 11.69 on fuel on your app. But I can't. It's only one trip, so let me get some fuel. Um, track some fuel mileage for 30 days, and we'll see where we're at. I'll so, call you back. Sounds good. I will look forward to it. All right, we are going to take one more call. We're going to go to Indiana. Jack, we are within uh, two minutes of the top of the hour. So as we get closer to the top, I may have to interrupt you. I'll close out this first hour, but we will finish your call. That's going to be the last call of the day. Uh, let's go ahead and get started on it. Jack? Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, I purchased a 1986 Winnebago Cheap 22-foot RV. It's got a 454 engine in it. Okay. And I, I drove from Las Cruces, New Mexico to, to Florida, uh, 1,600 miles, and it ran great. It's only got 37,000 miles on it. And I'm wondering if I could get better fuel mileage by going with throttle body fuel injection. Oh, I have no idea. I was going to say, if you want to get better fuel economy, yank that thing out of there and put a diesel in it, and then we could help you. Um, I know nothing yeah. about getting better fuel economy out of gas engines, believe it or not. Um, I know yeah. no, no next to nothing. Anybody have any ideas? Well, you can look at the exhaust system first and see if it's got restrictive mufflers, see if it's got one pipe versus two. Uh, you could look at the air intake system and see if the air filter is restricted and where it's getting its air from. Those are the first two things. The third thing is you take the distributor out and you take it to a good speed shop and uh, tell them what you're doing with it. Tell them you want it to pull like a rape date, not a scalded dog. Scalded dog right. is for race car. All right, Bruce, I, I had to mute you there because i got to wrap up this hour. We will be back here tomorrow for Destination Health. We will see you then.